0: Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program created by a 20-year martial arts veteran and violent crime survivor, Susie Collin, based in Berlin, Germany. You can learn more about Susie and the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense program at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com. I feel like we're having like talk therapy for me and like so many of my um, experiences, but I also, um, for me, it feels important to come at this from like a personal um, experience because that's where my questions are and um, where I find the practice of self-defense and like your experience really valuable. Um, And one of the things that, I've been thinking about over the years because I was a target of, um, I don't want, I don't know how to call it, I guess, familial sexual assault, um, incest, some kind of in different ways. And without going into all the details, I would say that one of the hardest parts of it for me was, um, not having any recourse or, uh, People to support me or to call these abusers out. And I know for a lot of victims of family sexual violence, if it doesn't rise to the level of, you know, rape or penetration, like sometimes there really isn't a lot to do. And I was thinking of this, especially after me too, but also because I was involved in a sexual harassment lawsuit about 10 years ago. And um you know it occurred to me that what happened during the um mediation phase was that i you know there was a lot of lawyers involved and we had um you know we were able to like make our case and i realized that like there's just no forum for that when the the act takes place within the family and i don't know that just really bothered me that like it, even even in a lawsuit if it's even if it's just a civil lawsuit you can say you know, okay, this person was wrong, this person violated, you know, HR policy, or this person broke the law or whatever it was that you can kind of say this, you know, there was a perpetrator and they crossed the line and you were wronged. Um, But when it comes to family um, harassment, like um, assault, like some of these, you know, what happened to me was that my uncle kissed me, which was like in a sexual way that, but I didn't feel like there was any, um, there was nothing to do about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that when, when violence or, um, some, sometimes what happens within a family, it's not just kept a secret out of shame, but also because there's just not, there's no forum
1: to dispute it. Right. Right. Well, I think, um, I think some of this has to do with, you know, kind of antiquated notions of, of women's roles, women's and girls' roles in families, you know, as still to some degree being property as opposed to um, being fully realized individuals with full human rights. You know, so unless there's, you know, big violence and big violence, you know, but in the sense of like rape or beating or torture or something like that, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's all very fuzzy lines, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think there's fuzzy lines maybe from a legal standpoint and a federal standpoint because, you know, there is a there is a point where these things are private to a family. You know, I mean, how far does the government go? Does law enforcement go? Do laws go penetrating that family unit? Where is your privacy? You know, where is your right to to have a family or raise a family or exist as a family in whatever your definition of that is? You know, and there's there's clear laws about that regarding child abuse and child sexual abuse, but not so much about like wife abuse, you mm-hmm. know, and in some, like in the United States, still in some states, um, it's totally legal to rape your wife. Right. So, and again, I think this goes back to outdated notions of women's roles in family units um, and women as property, and assets rather than women as fully realized human beings with full human rights. I think with families, um, you know, the keeping secrets, not standing up for the person who is victimized um, is often, a. you know, I mean, there's so many different reasons why, but I think that oftentimes it has to do with the bigger price Mm -hmm. that family members might feel would have to be paid, you know, in the sense of, um, in the sense of like having to choose between family members.
0: When also we have, you know, we're primates, you know, we're like social beings and we have a biological instinct to kind of protect the unit in the community and that's a survival instinct and i think you know in my experience i had to really look at that component and say okay so a lot like these people are much more interested in keeping this family intact and whatever that even if the cost is like maybe denying the truth or denying one member or even shunning you know shunning somebody for threatening um the unit and I think that's basically what happened and, you know, and that was, it's hard to accept because it doesn't seem right. But I think this is a very common experience for and what, for especially, and the other thing I was told was um, to keep a secret for the sake of the wife or the mother, right? right? So that, you know, you're not, you're keeping it a secret so that you don't hurt other people.
1: Right. Who are women, by the way. Right. But I think that that, I mean, I think that that goes both ways in a lot of families, meaning like keep the secret either for other women or keep the secret for, you know, men if there's a favored member of the family mm-hmm. um, that is the perpetrator. You know, well, you know, it's it's your grandfather's favorite son. It would really destroy your grandfather. You mm-hmm. know, what does that mean then? Does that mean that your grandfather would turn around and and punish you? You know, does that mean that that you know what? Does the family fall apart? Can the family not acquire tools to work through this so that all members are supported and one of them isn't like you know? Oh well, you are not worth the whole entire family, which is what that message also kind of says. I think you know? that is. Like,
0: I think that is the the not just the message, but I think that's what happens.
1: A I lot think of it times. is what happens, and I think that that's really um, horrible because it's because it usually happens to women and girls and that's what it's telling women and girls you are not worth you know what your well-being is not worth the whole family exactly and so therefore we're going to keep this secret it's the family secret mm-hmm. you know we all know about it but we don't need to talk about it because we want to preserve the status quo of the family
0: And incest is a really, really dirty word.
1: Yeah, it is a really dirty word. And it makes people feel very uncomfortable. And people also often want to distance themselves from these ideas. No, that would never happen in our family Mm -hmm. because that's not the idea I have of my family or the belief I have of my family. I don't want to have to look at that. You know, it may also be that if I acknowledge this incestuous act, then I'm going to have to acknowledge a whole bunch of other stuff. Mm -hmm. And now this family that is part of my identity crumbles mm-hmm. and so does my identity with it mm-hmm. you know and now what do we do so it's it's i mean it's very complicated i don't agree with it and i know many people who have um been very hurt by this act of not valuing you know a girl member a female member over the family and her well-being over the rest of the family and not being able to look at things as like it doesn't mean that the whole family has to turn against the perpetrator and that's the person who's shunned. Right. It doesn't mean anybody has to be shunned at all. It does mean that you need to acknowledge and support and protect the victim. You need to confront the perpetrator. You need to find a way to, if you want to continue as a family unit to deal with it, call in outside people if you have to, you know, but I think no one's really ever encouraged to do that. I don't even know what that would look like. I mean, I'm, I don't know what that would look you like know, either. I but-
0: think it's such a foreign concept for people that it doesn't happen, you know, and maybe, um, you know, if I can, if I could speak to, for my situation and for people who have been through that, it's like the best thing I could do for myself was to separate myself, you know, from the family because I wasn't getting that kind of support and also to acknowledge um, why it's so hard for them, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. to avoid myself from becoming too angry or resentful, you know, or feeling, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in some ways understanding the value of family, um, I don't know, I don't mean to be a martyr, but it's some, in some ways having that understanding of what happened gave me more space to just, um, remove myself,
1: Well, I think one of the things that we don't talk about with family is that, you know, you're born into your family and you're related by blood to all these people, but your ongoing participation as an adult is still, is voluntary. You don't actually have to stay, you don't have to continue to interact with these people if you really don't want to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we forget that. I forget that too, you know, and it's, it's... I think that that's a really scary thought because family really is a part of our identities. You know, what do you do when you have no more family? What does that even mean? What does that look like? What does it feel like? There are people in that situation. There's many, many people on earth in that situation. But I personally don't know what that's like. Um,
0: Well, it's hard to fathom when you've relied on that, you know, and when you have a choice, you know, a lot of people don't have a choice. And I think having that choice... I've been giving, I've been saying this recently because it's come up in different scenarios, but I, because I realized you can't keep telling people to change, you know, you just have to make a decision whether who they are and, and the behavior that they have is acceptable to you. I mean, that's literally the only thing you can do. And if you set your boundaries and if you say like, this is not okay for me, then you make that choice, you know, to remove yourself. And I think for a lot of people, it's hard. I think it's even, um, almost impossible for some people to completely sever ties. It's just because it's so much a part of who you are.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, I think it's, you know, it becomes a matter of survival ultimately. You know, can I survive without this? You know, can I not survive without this? Do I stay or do I go in that sense? You know, and it's, it's, or can I survive at great distance? -hmm. (laughs) And still, (laughs) sort of have them in my life, but I'm. Is the Atlantic Ocean enough? (laughs) (laughs) Do I need to go to the moon? (laughs) It's. It's. Yeah, you know. I mean, I think we all have. I think we all have a duty and a responsibility to care for ourselves first, and especially as we're adults. This is something I've been thinking about more and more. In my own life, um, I think that as adults, we do have a duty and a responsibility to evolve past those early adaptive behaviors that may be causing harm to others to, if we can, to confront and learn to deal with and resolve for ourselves our emotional issues um, so that we don't continue to kind of, you know, dump them all over everybody else and make everybody else deal with our problems and our issues. We don't all have the capacity to do that. We might not be able to afford therapy or, or we might not have a good network or, you know, whatever it is. But if we can, I think we all owe it to the people that we love in our lives to do that, as well as to ourselves, of course, hoping that you love yourself most. And sometimes that means distancing yourself from your family. Sometimes that means this, these people who I love very much um, are not a good influence in my life or they have made a choice that is the right choice for them. But I owe it to myself to, to find the support that I, that I need, that I'm entitled to, And to live my life to the fullest that I possibly can, that I think is our, for each individual on this planet, is, and I I know I say this from a position of great, great privilege, but I really believe that we each have a duty to ourselves to live our lives as fully as we possibly can. And that means being safe emotionally and supported emotionally. And creating networks that we can rely on, that are stable, that we know are going to be there and that aren't going to turn against us, you know, or choose something else over us, you know, that we are so integrated in that network, that we are so necessary that the cost to losing us in that network, whether it's the family unit or network of friends or whatever it is, 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 will, will damage or destroy the network, you know, and I think that that's, yeah, I mean, I think that that's just something that we are all entitled to. And sometimes we have to go somewhere else to find it instead of in our families, because our families choose to keep a secret, maybe for these reasons, maybe in their minds, they're protecting you too. I don't know. We don't know. I mean, that's the best case scenario. Some families are just outright abusive,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: I think all families in many ways are outright abusive in one way and the other, you mm-hmm. know, and and because we're human and we're all just kind of figuring it out. But yeah, I mean, I think I think it's really a pity that families choose to keep secrets and especially when it's about abuse and incest because it's usually at the cost of the victim, and the victim is almost always a woman. But actually, you know what? Now that I say that, I'll bet that it's actually 50 50. Yeah. I'll bet it's equally boys and men as it is girls and women. And but regardless, it's a hundred percent at the cost of the victim. Mm-hmm. And I know people in their fifties who are still keeping the secret. You yeah. know? And it's like Wait, I'm in my it's not that big of a deal.
0: <laughs> I just mean the fact that I have friends who have been through a sexual trauma in the family and they're in their fifties and still trying to make sure certain people don't find out. Yeah. Is insane. Yeah. And um or to draw attention, you know. It's like mm-hmm. but that again, it just makes the burden the responsibility because now you're not only carrying the shame of what happened; you're responsible for keeping a secret.
1: You're responsible for the family history. You would now have become right. a pillar of that family story, right? You know that you have to help hold up. You're no longer relieved of that responsibility, you know, and it's not in it's not an evenly distributed weight either, because you're holding up your end of the family story that includes this very heavy secret. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pity. It would be nice if there were, if, if there were more tools, if families were more encouraged, if we could say like, yeah, you know what, this, this does happen. And this seems like a really kind of heartless and insensitive thing to say, but incest does happen. Sexual abuse does happen in families. Violent abuse happens in families. And we all know this, and this has been a part of the human experience since we've started forming families. Mm -hmm. And we don't really address it. We address it with child protection services. We address it in the ways that we can, but we could do better because we have so many tools to support victims. And we've come all this way with quality and 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 awareness and um speaking more openly about these things why can't we do this too why can't we take this one more step mm-hmm. to provide tools to families and encourage families don't lose your family member you know don't push them out because your family unit is more important than that one person. Every person makes the family, every person.
0: But I also think the idea of like, I don't know, keeping the offender in the fold is not that horrific that maybe there's a way to, you know, I've often thought about this, like what I would do if I got uh, an apology, you know, Mm -hmm. from my uncle, if I had some I don't know, just inkling of remorse or understanding right. or empathy from right. him and what that would look like for me as like not just um the person that he hurt, but also I think that was the thing that was hardest for me after was that like that he didn't care even that he hurt me mm-hmm. or that, that there was this huge betrayal right that caused me to sever myself from the family. Right. And I wondered how that could be uh, mended and if, you know, and I don't think it's impossible, you know?
1: I don't think it is either. But again, I don't think it's it's encouraged. Yeah. And I don't think that that anyone's really bothered to create the tools. I mean, maybe maybe they exist and I just don't know about them. But it's, uh, yeah, it would be nice if that was more in the forefront, mm-hmm. you know? And, and especially in our today or Christian societies of, you know, the family. The family is so important. And meanwhile, everybody has to suffer for the family, you (laughs) know, as opposed to a family that's thriving, yeah, you know, and a family that's supporting and helping each other grow. And it's so
0: rare though. I mean,
1: I knew this guy in Paris when I lived there and I was teaching English to business people and he was one of the students who's from Cote d'Ivoire and his dad had died. And in his community, um, men were allowed to have two wives. So he had two wives and like... I think between the two of them, there were 20 kids and he was a pillar of his community. So when he died, there was, there was quite an estate and I guess the two wives didn't really like each other very much. Surprise. Yeah. (laughs) So, but the kids did actually, all the kids actually liked each other. And so what they decided to do with this estate, instead of, this is like, just, it was so beautiful to hear this. Instead of splitting it all up, you know, between all twenty of them and the wives and all of that stuff and dealing with all the politics, they decided to basically create um a collective that would be managed by the family and they would support each other. So because this guy happened to be well versed in banking and finance, he was responsible for investing that money and making sure that it was always growing and safe in money market accounts and blah 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 blah. But when anybody needed money, he was also responsible for distributing it. So they would get together and say like, okay, you know, this kid wants to go to college and he wants to go to this college and this college is this much money. You know, that's more than we want to pay. So as a family, we're going to vote. Do we want to support him to that college or can we talk him into something more affordable because this other kid wants to do that? Collectively, they decided as it's in, they were so big. It was like a village. It sounds Mormon. It does sound kind of Mormon. I don't think they were Mormon though, but Collectively, they decided to manage the estate and manage the families and help each other grow. And mm-hmm. if somebody wanted to start a business, they would vote on it. Yeah, okay, this person wants to start a business. Let's invest some of that money in that business mm-hmm. and let's all make sure that it grows. Mm-hmm. You know, this person wants to take a trip around the world. No. <laughs> I don't know. Well, however they made the decisions. But but what I mean is that this is, and, you know, they had, there were disagreements and whatever, and then they had a, you know, because he lived in Paris with his wife and kid, um, but they would fly back to Cote d'Ivoire. Um, annually, there was a family meeting to deal with whatever stuff came up over the year and make their decisions about how to spend the money. Hmm. Yeah, maybe Mormon, but it seemed pretty great to me.
0: I'm sure they have their own like most families pretty sure
1: especially i think between the two moms it was pretty problematic i mean it's families are
0: complicated and and i i mean the reason i i was interested in this topic in in relation to um self-defense is just how much um you know just the ability to talk about what happens to us is important and whether it's street violence or something that we carry more shame about like incest like it's just so important to be able to express our experience and know that we're not alone and that also there's different ways of facing our trauma
1: yeah and also to know that you're you're not a freak yeah well I am but uh, well we're all well it's so yeah. we Berlin <laughs> but, 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 you know, you're not a freak of nature. You're not weird. You're not odd. It's, it's yeah, you're not alone, but also this, you mm-hmm. know, and I think, especially when it's about family violence and incest, there's so much shame that comes with that, um, especially for the victim, that it's important to know that, you know, you're not a different kind of human being. You belong to the greater human pack. You know, maybe that particular unit is not the best place for you to thrive. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But to the greater scheme of humanity, you belong to us. Pretty Deadly
0: Self-Defense is a self-defense program created by a 20-year martial arts veteran and violent crime survivor, Susie Collin, based in Berlin, Germany. You can learn more about Susie and the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense program at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com.